Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. And that is when my heart just broke because I'm like, here we are waiting for a child. I never even thought about the kids waiting for families. And I realized how hurt and hard it was for me personally. And I'm like, and yet I have a loving family and I have all this stuff, but I am struggling with the weight it just like flipped my perspective once again of like, imagine how much more painful it is for these kids who are waiting for a family. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. So one thing that you may or may not know about me is that I am a foster care nana. That's right. Two of our grandkids came to us through foster care. Our youngest son, Austin, and his wife, Larissa, became foster parents before they had their own biological child. And that was two years ago. And I have learned so much about foster care since then. And most of us know about foster care, but we're not really aware of all that happens in foster care, all the dynamics that happens when a family says yes to foster care. I didn't. And honestly, I still have things to learn. And that's why I'm excited about today's conversation with my friend, Jamie Cabe. So adoption, foster care, and advocacy were not a part of Jamie's dreams for her life, but God changed her heart when he made her aware, and she is passionate about helping others become aware too. She's the founder of the Forgotten Initiative, which has a threefold purpose of increasing awareness about foster care, encouraging foster care families and mobilizing others to get involved in foster care in some way. She and her husband, Clint, are parents to seven children, five through adoption. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Jamie. Jill, it is so fun and great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. I am thrilled for today's conversation. And here's why. Because you and I live in the same community. And we've really interacted in ministry circles for a lot of years, but I never had the opportunity to hear your full story. (laughs) And so I'm excited about this to hear more about your journey, what God's done in your life and how you kind of came into what it is that you're doing. So would you be willing to just launch our conversation by sharing your journey that got you to today? Yes, absolutely. And 
I, just like you shared at the beginning, adoption, foster care, starting a ministry. I mean, none of that was in the plan. Um, I got married young and wanted to have four kids, <laughs> two boys and two girls. Okay. <laughs> um, seemed very simple. Uh-huh. Seemed very neat and tidy. Uh-huh. Um, and in fact, the thought of adoption felt very scary to me. I remember some people asking me, um, some friends of ours saying, would you ever consider adoption? And I remember thinking, only if we couldn't have kids, our own kids. It was that kind of idea of, because that that is not something for us. Mm-hmm. And um, But God, <laughs> as he so often does, he had a different plan and he ultimately made us aware. And it was just little things like instead of hearing about the big numbers of adoption, all of a sudden we started to see some friends bring home children from other countries. And so now this big, massive number of the orphan care crisis is now one child who is my friend's baby. Mm. And all of a sudden you see, you know, you don't see the statistic, you see the child. And so through that, I think God just opened our eyes and and really ultimately made us curious, like, hmm, maybe this is something we should consider. And over time, curiosity turned into let's pray about it. And as we started to pray about it, we became available. We became open to it. And okay, Lord, is this something you want? And by that time we had two daughters biologically. And um, once we were available, it it got all God needed. And that's when action followed to the point that we found ourselves in Guatemala, um, meeting our son Hudson for the very first time. He was only five five months old at the time. And then we had to return home without him and didn't know how long it would it would be to have him back with us, but it ended up being another five months. So as 10 months old, he joined our family here. And that opened our eyes to adoption and this whole thing of like, it, it, this is this is God's story that is bigger than us. And so interesting because I remember when Paige, our firstborn, who's now 18, wow. um, is was a, a baby. And I heard a story of adoption on the radio. And I remember thinking, Lord, I hope you're not trying to tell me something. <laughs> So that's where I was. It was a sphere. But bringing home Hudson after those few years um, and God changing my heart, I remember holding him in the middle of the night. Same story of adoption came on the radio again. And this time I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you so much for giving me this privilege. And so God is so good at changing our hearts. Yeah. If we, I do believe he gives us the free will to allow him to or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so fortunately he gave us the grace to allow him to open our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so that became our, became our adoption journey. Then we kind of started to catch the vision. And so at this point we're thinking, well, let's adopt again. And we thought naturally let's adopt from Guatemala again, but Guatemala closed um, to adoptions. And so this time we tried to adopt from the United States and that just began a journey of a couple of years of of nose upon nose upon nose. And this was a really hard time because we this in this case, we tried the domestic adoption route. And in in domestic adoption, you as the adoptive prospective adoptive family create a book of stories about you, pictures, like who you are, just helping the birth mom understand who you are. And then you give that to your agency and the agency shares it with birth parents. Um, who are interested in giving their children an adoption. And so our book, our profile, as it was called, was shared multiple times. And every time it was shared, we we were told, you know, we're going to have a birth mom looking at your profile. Mm-hmm. And every time 
we're waiting and I am imagining this might be my child and I'm writing in my journal, this is what I'm wearing, you know, at the Mm -hmm. moment when this, our profile is being shown, you know, how you just, you, you want to remember every moment because this might be your child and a story you want to tell later on. And then it would be no's and no's. And it was just for me, really, really painful and really confusing. It's like, God, you called us to adoption. Now you opened our eyes to this and now you're saying no. And you're saying, wait, like, I do not understand it. We're trying to be obedient, Lord. And it just didn't make sense to me. But through that time, God taught me so much. He taught me one, it's not about you, Jamie, you know, in a very loving, but, but, but firm way, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. And, um, he also taught me that it's not so much about bringing a child into your family. It's about bringing your family to a child. And through that kind of new awareness, he opened my eyes and my husband Clint's eyes to foster care. Mm. And we started to see maybe there isn't this need, or at least it's not God's plan for our family, potentially to adopt a child um, in the way we thought. Mm -hmm. But maybe we can come alongside a family and not necessarily for the purpose of bringing them into our home forever, but being there for a time, Mm. coming alongside a child and a family for a time so that the parent can actually get healthy again. Um, so many of our, our vulnerable adults in the foster care community and whose kids are in foster care, are they, they've never seen it modeled. So they're making decisions that are detrimental and that are painful. And it doesn't excuse it, but it does help you understand it. Yes. Um, and so, you know, there's families who really do love their kids and want to be reconnected. And that is the, the primary first step goal of foster care is to reunite the families. And so again, he opened our eyes to this of like, maybe we could be a part of reunification. And so we entered foster care classes. We started to learn more. And actually two days after those classes ended, we got a call about two little boys who needed a foster home. And at the time they were three years old, and seven months old. Okay. And they were our, they entered our home a few, a few, maybe a couple days later. Um, Sometimes in foster care, it can be hours for us. We had a a few days to prepare and um, they entered our home and that began our journey. At that point, we had five kids now. And about five months after that, they, their sister who was two also needed a home and had been living with her grandma and we had been getting to know her and God had already laid it on our hearts that like kind of preparing us for this. Yeah. And so when they asked, we said yes mm-hmm. with trembling hands. Um, but she entered our home. And so at this point now we had six kids and our oldest was seven. So it went seven, five, four, three, two, and one <laughs> in those early days. Oh my goodness. And that began our foster care journey and that upset the whole apple cart. And um there was, a, I mean, we can talk more about that, but just to finish off kind of how God formed our family is a few years after that, we figured we were finished. In fact, the state said, um, if you have more than six under 18 in your home, you, we can't accept more foster placements. Sure. There are always exceptions, but we determined to close our license at that point. We were pretty much drowning um, like a lot of foster parents are when they first start. But slowly over time, a few years later, God kind of opened our eyes to kids in Africa And we had, I say unfortunately, it's not unfortunate, but we had purchased a van that was bigger that had one extra seat Uh. and we had one extra (laughs) seat at our table. And I just felt, Lord, I don't think we're finished. I don't Mm. think that 
it wasn't even so much, I feel like our family needs to grow. It was more like, I think we can help one more. I think we have room for one more. I think, and um, so I told my husband, I think maybe we need to pray about adapting from Africa. And he said, let's pray about it, but don't expect anything. Mm, I love it. <laughs> um, but five years ago, we brought home our son. His name is Friday. He is born was born in Uganda, Africa. So that makes seven. And um, actually, because you just never want to say never to God, a couple soon after Friday came home, we told the kids at dinner, guys, listen, we just want you to know there's no more caves coming into this home. Like we are done. <laughs> like it's over. Like we're gonna just grow from here together. Mm-hmm. And I remember our little Layla who came to our home through foster care, and eventually those three kids who came did get adopted um, into our home. And um, she piped right up. I think she was five at the time. She said, "Phew, I'm sure glad I made it in time." Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> so she. <laughs> But but uh, this past February, we ended up actually bringing in another child, um, a teenager, who is living with us until to help her get some stability and graduate high school. And so we'll see what happens after that. But so now we're at eight. Wow. So we don't ever say never to the Lord, but we're also you know, we're happy if he says we're finished. Right, right. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't know. Right. (laughs) So that's just really the family side of things. You know, so much of your story mirrors ours. I mean, we, Mm. you know, we added to our family through adoption just once, not as many times as you did. (laughs) But I was kind of like you in the beginning. In my mind, adoption was for the purpose of growing a family for people who couldn't have biological children. And I had such a narrow perspective. I didn't, I had never thought about adoption for the sake of a child that needs a family. Mm -hmm. So I really had to, I did a big flip-flop when, when the Lord opened up the uh, opportunity for adoption to us, because I'm thinking we had four children. I mean, at that point we had, um, and ours were 18, 16, 12 and six. And, Mm. um, and then this little, you know, God lays this little nine-year-old boy from Russia into Mm. our lives and on our hearts. And, and I'm thinking, no, we don't need another child. (laughs) Right. But, that wasn't the point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Jill. Sure. You don't, but maybe a child needs you. Um, Maybe he needs a family and this Mm -hmm. is the call. So I so appreciate uh, really what you were talking about there. I think that we have to allow our thinking to be challenged Mm-hmm. and uh, to recognize that our perspective isn't always correct. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's just not big enough. Mm. It's not big enough. We don't see the whole picture. And even like when you said, we don't need a child, I think, you know, don't you think God also is saying, actually, you do need, you need to know me more. And this child is going to help you know me more. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. For sure. I mean, we saw that in uh, the financial journey Mm. to afford adoption internationally. I mean, Russia is very, very expensive Mm -hmm. and uh, most international adoption is, and we did not have the money to make that happen, but, but God, you know, Mm -hmm. he provided. And then we've certainly seen it as we've just walked out uh, life Mm -hmm. um, with a child 
who had a traumatic background. Um, yeah. You know, we certainly didn't understand all the dynamics of that. Um, but mm-hmm. God has, uh, we've drawn near to him and he's shown us the way. And you're right. Uh, we've learned so much more about him. Mm-hmm. So very powerful. So, wow, I didn't realize you guys came to foster care through adoption. That's such we an did. interesting journey. But now mm-hmm. you run an organization, the Forgotten Initiative, in you that is really focused on uh, helping those in foster care, advocating for those mm-hmm. in foster care. So talk about how that uh, got started. Sure. It was actually during the time when we were trying to adopt and um, it wasn't happening. It was so it was actually before we met our three little ones who came into our, our home through foster care. Um, but our eyes were starting to become open to this world. It's kind of during that time when I felt like God was like, it's not about bringing a child into your family. You know, he was just changing and challenging my perspective. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing a another ministry um, that had gone in there called The Call in Arkansas, or they were there, I don't know, if, uh, yeah, The Call. Um, and they had gone into some agencies and just redid um, like rooms, redesigned rooms, or they brought in food for workers. They just, they, they just opened my eyes to like this idea of how you can actually come alongside social workers and the foster care community. And it just really, there was also a video that they put out and it was of a little girl who was waiting while the worker called a home. And it was a depiction, but it showed the impact on a child when the worker's going, is there, is there home? Do you have home for this place, the room for this child? And everyone's saying no. And everyone's saying no. And that is when my heart just broke. Cause I'm like, here we are waiting for a child. I never even thought about the kids waiting for families. Right. And I realized how hurt and hard it was for me personally. And I'm like, and yet I have a loving family and I have all this stuff, but I am struggling with the weight. It just like flipped my perspective once again of like, imagine how much more painful it is for these kids who are waiting for a family. Mm. And so that really was prompting us into foster care, but it was also prompted me to take my three kids who I had at the time and go to DCFS, just walked in. Didn't had never been there. It's Department of Children and Family Services here in our town. And I just walked in. And I just asked questions like I am learning about this community. I didn't know. Can you please wow. help me understand what you do? Can you please help me see where kids go when they wait? Like I did not know and I need to know more. And so they were gracious to just walk me into rooms where kids will visit with their parents or help me understand a little bit about what it's like in the in the eyes of a, a child. Yes. And that was all that I needed. I think God had been preparing me because I had been so ready to act and so ready to adopt. And he hadn't filled that desire. He yes. hadn't given he hadn't given the go ahead. But I believe he was preparing me for this. And so he I was ready to go. And so when they told me that and they showed me these rooms where kids visit, I saw rooms that were institutionalized that were nothing was nice in there. The toys were broken. Um, some of them, there were hard furniture. Every Everything felt like an office and nothing felt like, like a, a warm mm. environment. And I'm thinking of kids who are maybe being pulled in the middle of the night right. from everything that they know from a dangerous situation. And they come here like something's not connecting and surely we can help. We can come alongside 
the workers, mm-hmm. the social workers, the agency. And so that's really what started is I just asked them, can, can I gather people together? Can we come give these rooms a makeover? Can we just make it beautiful and come alongside you? Like we value what you're doing. We can't do what you're doing, but my goodness, we can do some things to help you. And so they were gracious to say, yes, please. Like, thank you. <laughs> and so <laughs> I recruited family and friends just really through Facebook at that time. And so can we come, come and help make these rooms a space that makes kids feel special? Mm-hmm. And so we came in and brought new furniture and businesses got involved and paint on the walls and new toys and just created an entirely different environment so that when kids do come in, they can see in their environment that there have been people thinking of them Mm -hmm. and caring for them. That was the beginning. It was like these puzzle pieces of like, here's a need. There's this community that has a need. Yeah. And I know there's people in the church who care. They just don't know how to, how to connect. And there's this gap between the two, like they don't know how to connect with each other. And so that's really where, what the forgotten initiative does is we live and work in the gap. Mm -hmm. We help people connect the church to the agency so that the foster care community can be served and supported in ways that are needed right where um, that agency is. And so that was one of the puzzle pieces. I also started to just learn more. I, I met with workers. I was hungry to know. And I just said, can I, can, let me take you out to lunch. Can, can I ask you more questions? Like help me to understand what it's like in your life, in your day to day. What's it like to be a worker? I can't even imagine, you know, just really helping to see through their eyes. And one, another simple thing I learned was the diapers are often needed. You know, kids might be taken from their home and a social worker uh, is, is with this child, but there's no diapers anywhere. And so now in this moment of transition, social worker has to take child to Walmart, get diapers, change, you know, baby or whatever. Whereas what if those diapers were just ready on hand at the agency? Mm. So they can just come in and this transition can be as smooth as possible in an already difficult situation. So there was a time I just said, let's do a diaper drive. And I, again, recruited friends and family and this time took it to the blog. And we just told people kind of cast the vision of like, if we help the worker, we're not only lifting them up and lightening their burden, but we're actually helping them help the people that they care about and that they want to, they're here to help. Yeah. And so it's like a, it's multiple layers of impact when you care for the worker. And so um, people started just buying into it. And I started getting diapers shipped to my door all across the country because people used Amazon. Mm. We got over a hundred boxes of diapers and wipes combined. I mean, they were filling up my living room and we have (laughs) at that time had four foster care agencies in our town. And I was able to walk into one of those agencies um, with 30 boxes of diapers and say, hey, I have 30 boxes of diapers in my van. Can you use them? Would this be helpful to you? Because we care about you and we see what you're doing. We value you and, and we just want to help. And again, the response was, are you kidding? Oh, thank <laughs> you. Like, <laughs> And it was just this amazing perspective once again of there's a need. People don't know about it. But when you just make the connection – they care right. as long as, and again, you're making the connection for what a real need is because you've been asking. Um, mm-hmm. It would be different if I just assumed that there was a need and I brought items to help. Maybe that would help. Maybe it wouldn't. Right. Um, and so that's the role again of the TFI, the advocate in the different communities that we serve is their job is to really make those connections as smoothly as possible, get to know the agency, get to know the church and help the church serve. Um and so those were really just the the 
puzzle pieces. That's how I always um, explain it. The puzzle pieces that were kind of here and they just started to form together into a picture. And that became the Forgotten Initiative. And we started it out on Facebook. It was truly just a Facebook page where as I got to learn the needs in my community, I shared them on Facebook and people would start meeting the needs and I would just help make connections. Yes. Slowly over time, um, I started to build some people around me who were helping me kind of do this and coordinate these efforts. And then really about a month into this, um, maybe a couple months, I start, I got to hear from someone in Birmingham, Alabama, who was reading my blog and following the journey and said, I want to do this in my community too. I think the needs are very similar. I want to know how to do it. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I mean, I'll do my best. I don't know what I'm doing really, but we can do it <laughs> together. <laughs> and so I started to help her. And then someone from down the road, Champagne, was like, I want to know what's going on. Can you help me? And slowly over time, people just started reaching out. This is a need in my community. I don't know how to do it. Can you help me? And so that is what has happened is now we have built up a national team of people who our whole focus is helping people launch and lead thriving foster care ministries right where they live. Mm. And so here in the office, we're helping these leaders who are out in their communities with professional resources. We're connecting them to each other. So there's a very tight knit, united community of advocates at TFI. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are also coaching them, strategically coaching them, developing them as leaders, helping them build their teams, helping them do this work with you know, sustainability and integrity and in best pre- with best, best practices. And so that's what's happened now. 10 years later, we're serving 40 um, ministry leaders in communities all throughout our nation. Mm, I love that. And it just started out with God starting to prompt your heart, you responding to mm-hmm. that, asking questions, digging in, mm-hmm. and just saying one yes after another. Imperfectly, I might add. <laughs> Very imperfectly. <laughs> you know, I, I pray often, Lord, help me to walk or at least stumble forward in obedience. Yes. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> often it's just a stumble, but as long as we're trying to go forward in obedience, He blesses it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I remember that during, you know, when Hearts at Home existed, sometimes there were times, you know, my teammates would say, okay, Jill, what do we do with this? And I'd be like, I don't know. We're making this up as we go along. (laughs) I don't know the answer, but I know the one who has the answer. Amen. Yes. You know, and so we got to pray and, and God's going to show us what to do. And Mm -hmm. you've certainly, you've certainly seen that happen. And I know, um, you know, when our, uh, two foster grandkids, uh, became a part of our family. I remember I came to your office. It was the first time that I had ever seen the Forgotten Initiative office uh, because I came to pick up uh, bags for each of the kids. And that's so cool. I mean, Austin and Larissa had no children at the time. So they had just like you guys, they had just completed their foster care training. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so they had no children. And so they needed everything. They needed beds. They needed clothes. They needed toys. They needed everything. So we went through what I had up in the attic and, you know, we found out the size of the kids and I got on Facebook and said, Hey, I need this size clothes and this size clothes uh, Mm -hmm. because they were um, two. Let's see. They were 
18 months and two and a half, I think, when they came. I remember calling the Forgotten Initiative and you guys were like, well, come get a bag for each one of them. So talk about the bags that you guys have. Journey bags is what you're referring to. And the idea there is just to give kids something to call their own because oftentimes kids go into foster care without anything. Sometimes there's time to to take items together. Sometimes it's, oftentimes it's in a garbage bag. Um, sometimes there's not even time to take anything depending on the urgency and emergency of the situation. Um, so journey bags are just, uh, it's, you know, it's practical items like pajamas and underwear and things like that, toothbrushes, you know, hygiene items, things like that, but also some fun items depending on the age of the child might be a journal, might be toys, um, a blanket, pillow, you know, things like that, just again, to give kids something to call their own. Yes. And just like I shared the impact of when you care for a worker, mm-hmm. how there's a um, multiple impact, it's the same with the foster parents. When a foster parent gets a journey bag that they can give to their kids, um, it impacts them too, because it shows that there's a community who loves them as well and is supporting what they do. I remember hearing a story of a foster mom who got a teenager and it was really, really tough, mm-hmm. um, but had gotten a journey bag with the teenager when when that child came. And in it was a note for the foster mom. And just, a, you know, we value what you're doing. We're praying for you. We're thinking of you. And she said she had that note on her fridge. And on those days when she really wanted to give up, she would just go look at that note. And it would remind her that there was a purpose in what she was doing and that mm-hmm. she wasn't alone. Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. So let's turn the corner a little bit and let's talk about how can we as the church make a difference? You know, I know for, you know, walking this with Larissa and Austin, I mean, there are expenses, you know, that they get reimbursed for some expenses, they get childcare covered, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes they have expenses over and above. So, you know, I know that sometimes even coming along a family financially Mm -hmm. that is uh, doing foster care. Uh, Talk about that and what outside of finances can we do to, to help? I think that a really big key is to let them know if there's foster families in your church, um, let them know you're with them. And it doesn't mean that you, I'm not saying let them know that you think they're rock stars or that they're amazing because I'm telling you that as foster parents, you are entering into some brokenness that you've not likely experienced before. You usually feel the worst form of yourself because you're seeing things in yourself that you're like, whoa, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so when people just say kind of you're amazing or you're awesome or sometimes that can almost make you feel even more alone and isolated because you're like, now I'm being put up on this pedestal and really what I just feel like is I'm failing. Um, and so I think to just share that we are with you. Mm-hmm. We want to pray for you specifically. We're going to be praying for you. If there's any specific prayer requests you have, please let us know. Yes. Like we are in your corner. Um, I remember like for our family, when one of our kids came, they had, we got head lice. Um, and that was, that was extremely challenging with lots of little kids and it's all new. And I remember that Clint and I had were preparing to go on a date and we found out that we had the head lice and so in the home. And so we called our babysitter who was a friend from church. And I said, 
listen, we just found lice. You know, I will just reschedule. Thank you so much for offering to come anyway, but we'll we need to deal with this. And she goes, Oh no, we're still coming. We'll we'll still come. We'll just wash our hair afterwards. <laughs> and I, I am telling you, I just broke down and wept and wept because the fact that she was willing to enter that mess with yeah, us. That makes me cry. I'm sitting here crying. Oh, I, I know. know that's so powerful. I know. It is. And it doesn't feel like a big deal to someone on the other side, but to me, it I mean, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Um, and we I remember us going on that date that night and sitting in our car and just listening to worship music and just sitting and like kind of like we just so desperately needed a time away. And so for them to come in, even when a time when most people would say, Oh yeah, don't I don't want to be near that. <laughs> um, they they stepped in even deeper. Yeah. And so I just think that is that's the most powerful thing when people would say, I'm bringing you a meal. Um, is there any dietary restrictions? And I think even for people to know, especially in times of transition, uh, you know how it is when you're feeling pretty low or when things feel so chaotic. If someone comes and brings you something, it almost can feel like, oh no, now I have to host them and I have to oh, welcome them right. in. And I it, like it almost can feel more burdensome. So a little a little tip would be to, and I would say even if you're a friend of a foster parent to help arrange this for them, but have a cooler set up outside the front door so that people can drop off food, knock on the door, or just send a text like it's here. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm heading out. So that, again, it takes off any pressure for there to be like this kind of feeling of I need to host you or um, make you feel good because right now you're just feeling overwhelmed. So sometimes it's easier to say, no, I don't need help because it feels hard to receive help because you kind of feel like that means I'm required to do something. Yes. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. It's those practical, practical things, Um, sending gift cards to Starbucks if they like coffee, sending meal gift cards. It's... Um, writing notes of encouragement. It, it's just, it's really the very, very practical things. It's not the big, huge sweeping things. Yeah. It's the everyday nitty gritty. You know what people are dealing with. Um, I mean, everybody needs to eat, right? So, you know, if you can provide right. food, um, you know, Everybody needs a break if you can help provide a break. Right. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, really this dovetails with a a previous episode I just did not too long ago, and it was on my cancer journey. Um, It was when Mm -hmm. I had cancer, and I talked about that the most ineffective offer of help is let me know what you need. Yeah. And what you just said there, I love because you said, I'd like to, or I'm bringing you a meal is there, mm-hmm. are there any food restrictions that just, you stated what you're doing and you, uh, and you, you know, just asked, you know, for some feedback so that you could make sure that the meal was appropriate. Um, I love that, but I have right. never thought about, uh, the cooler on the outside of the door that would also apply to someone who is going through a crisis you know, oh, totally. same thing. Because when I was, you know, going through chemo treatment, I certainly didn't feel like answering the door or hosting no. someone. So that's a great right. idea. And I love that. Um, so very practical. I think that we forget that there are ongoing, I think we're good at jumping in and helping families like foster care families 
when they first mm-hmm. get the kids. I think we forget yeah. about the ongoing needs. Totally. And so simple ways to even help us remember is literally just a calendar note in your own calendar, a reminder, yes. check in on so-and-so, you know, set it up as a reoccurring every three weeks. You know, I mean, it's, I think so often people care. We struggle to show it sometimes because we're busy yeah, and we don't, we don't set ourselves up for success. I think it's the same in leadership is I might not follow up with something my team said, not because I don't care, but because I didn't write it down yeah. and make myself a note to remind myself to follow up. Yep. And so we can't leave stuff to our own brains. No. <laughs> we need to help ourselves. <laughs> yes. And we, we need to do that very thing of uh, like, you know, that's that's where I love electronic calendars. I mean, I am a paper calendar mm-hmm. girl, but I do keep an electronic <laughs> calendar too. I love that you can set those recurring reminders mm-hmm. and you can do that for a foster care family. You can do that for someone who's mm-hmm. who's going through some sort of uh, treatment. Absolutely. You can do that for someone who's going through a separation or a divorce or a Absolutely. difficult time yep. with a child. So I think there's mm-hmm. so many ways that we can be better at caring for each other if we'll just get into some habits of using a tool like a calendar to remind us. I think habits are so key. It is Those are the small little things that either take us where we want to go or we live unintentionally and they we just go, we just float. Um, it's the same with my husband and I. When we first started foster care, that's when we determined we must have date night. Mm-hmm. Because we need a time to reconnect. And so every two weeks, we put it on the calendar. And we've been doing that for 10 years now because it's on the calendar. It it would not be happening. We would forget. Um, but then, but what I, it's the most exciting thing is when I actually see the calendar thing pop up and it's like, it's date night. I didn't even remember. Right. But you make it a priority and you do it and it pays big. It does. And what you're saying is it's recurring on your calendar. You're not, you're not putting, recurring. you're not putting it on there every two weeks. You have, Correct. you've put it on there and it's, it's on there for the next, well, it's unending. It's just recurring. And definitely. Yeah. You click the button indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When will this end? Never. Never. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, this has been such a rich conversation. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you if they'd like to connect with the Forgotten Initiative? Sure. Yeah, they can really, um, the the website, theforgotteninitiative.org is going to give you access to all the resources we provide. We are on um, YouTube. We are on Facebook and Instagram. And we also have a podcast called The Forgotten Podcast. So if you are intrigued or wanting to learn more about foster care, or if you are on this foster care journey, really wherever you are in the journey, that's what the podcast is there for. So um, we'd love to have you come listen to us over there. And really also we have a, a children's book series called The Who Loves Series for kids in foster care. So this is a great way to educate your children, whether or not they are part of foster care or for those who have kids in foster care. So you can find that at wholoveseries.org. Wonderful. Well, would you close us in prayer just for those listening? We may have foster families listening. We may have those that knew very little about foster care, but now their heart is pricked. Um, Those that just are trying to educate themselves. Would you just close Mm -hmm. us in prayer? Yeah, I would love to. 
Lord, thank you so much for this time with Jill and with all who are listening, Lord. Man, it's such a privilege to be able to um, be an advocate for for those things, the people that are on your heart, Lord. And thank you so much for first giving me the awareness, Lord. We know that awareness leads to action. And I pray that whatever action that you want for those listening today, mm-hmm. you will prompt them and they will be obedient, Lord, that they will walk or stumble forward (laughs) in obedience, Lord, there. You don't expect perfection from us. You, you actually have so much more for us than we could ever imagine. And I just pray that you will, um, just do more than we could ask or imagine in the lives of those listening and in the lives of those that they may impact, um, because of hopefully a prompting even just from today. Yeah. We love you so much, Lord Jesus. And we just pray a blessing on all who are listening, that they will feel your love, your spirit, and how precious they are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free eBooks for you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.